Great. We are in week two of a, a series we're calling What's in Your Wallet? And uh, I was thinking about that question this week. And, you know, you never really answer that question or really want to know that the answer to that question until you've lost your wallet. <laughs> right? Anybody ever lost their wallet or you've lost your purse? Brent lost his, lost his purse. No, so if we, every day, if we end up, you know, wrestling with, with uh, some semantics today, let it be known that when I lose my wallet, when I misplace it, the first thing uh, that I think about is what? How much cash did I have in there? I want to know the answer to that because I can pretty much shut everything else down. There might be some sentimental things in here, but I got to know how much cash is in there. And we're going to talk about money today. Specifically, we're going to talk about what the Bible says about money. We're going to talk about what the Bible says about tithing. We're going to talk about what the Bible says about first fruits. I hope that you'd open your heart to that and uh, kind of in preparation for, for where we're headed, I, I want to pray. So if you'll bow your head with me, let's just take a moment and ask God to be with us. Lord, we know that you're in our worship and, and we, we spend our time praising you. And so here we are now diving into your word. And we also want it to be our worship. We ask God that you would open our ears to hear and keep our heart, hearts soft and moldable. And God, if we came here not expecting to be challenged, uh, I pray that you'd change that right away and that you'd help us to realize that that's what the body is for, is to encourage and to build one another up. And so here we are. We ask that you'd speak uh, your words in Jesus' name. Everybody said, Amen. Amen. All right, what's in your wallet? We're going to talk about that. Look at Matthew 6, verse 24. It'll come up on the screen. Ross talked about this last week in reference to our identity in Christ and finding our identity there rather than in our wealth or possessions. So, so this money talk is very re relatable to his. It says, uh, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. I think about why such a harsh narrative by Jesus here. He says, hate one, love the other, despise one, and be devoted to the other. To the other. In other words, to say, one's got to go up here in first place, and the other one's going to have to go in last place. There is no in between. So here's what I'll suggest. Neither money nor God is charmed by the idea of being in second place in my life. Neither money nor God is charmed by the idea of coming in second place. I, I think about the sovereignty of God. And it's only when I understand that that it makes sense why he would not settle for second place. Look at 2 Corinthians 9, verses 8 through 11. I want to read it in the message version. I love the way it puts it. It says, God can pour on the blessings in astonishing ways so that you're ready for anything and everything. More than just ready to do what needs to be done. Look at, look at this. The English Standard Version says, having all contentment in all things at all times. Isn't that a great thought? Having all contentment in all things at all times. And it goes on to say, as one psalmist put it, he, God, throws caution to the winds, giving to the needy in reckless abandon. His right living, right giving ways never run out, never wear out. This most generous God who gives seed to the farmer that becomes bread for your meals is still even more extravagant with you. Everyone say, even more. He gives you something you can then give away which grows into full-form lives, robust in God, wealthy in every way so that you can be generous in every way, producing with us great praise to God. I have a list here to kind of highlight the sovereignty of God and how it relates to the way we view money. And I want you to, I want you to follow me. It's a list I came up with just driving down the road this weekend. I call them the God cannot nots. Okay, it's a Massive double negative, but you're going to have to stay with me because I'm going to do a lot of that probably. God cannot not, number one, he cannot not be there. 
Think about that. That's the omnipresence of God. He's everywhere all the time. God has never once said, oh, man, I wish I could have been there for that. He's never once said that. He's everywhere all the time. Number two, God cannot not care. I've heard it said this way. He is just and just as loving. Wow, right? He is just and just as loving. There isn't a way to measure God's love. He is love, as the Bible puts it, complete and unfailing. Think about this. He has always, is now, and will forever love you the same then, now, and on into eternity. Reason enough to praise him. God cannot not care. The third one, God cannot not know. This is the omniscience of God, all-knowing. Go with me for a moment back to 10-year-old Jesus, and he's out on the playground. And little Tommy is out there, and Tommy tells a lie. Man, I can't imagine Jesus holding his tongue and saying, hey, you're lying. You're not telling the truth. He knows all. Fully God, fully man. You can imagine like little Tommy looking back at him and saying, who are you to judge me? And Jesus is like, what? Isaiah 55, 9 says, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are his ways higher than our ways. And his what? His thoughts higher than our thoughts. God cannot not know. He's never once said, huh, I've never thought of it that way. <laughs> Sovereignty of God. He is this big. He wants first place, and so does money. In Ross's message, he, he put this kind of picture for us about the way that money and God are vying for the same position. He said that both God and money claim to offer the same things. They both say, I can make you into somebody. I can be your security. I can provide for all your needs. Do you see why we cannot serve both God and money? And here's the last one. God cannot not be first. This is the supremacy of God that I want to talk about. He's the one and only big G God. When playing a game, God wins every time. 18 holes of golf, he shoots an 18. Hole in one, every hole. Why? Because there might be somebody who would shoot a 19. But he's going to win every time. If the game were to lose, God would lose last. I think that's how I should say it. He would lose last. If the game were to lose, he'd lose last. And only then would our God ever lose anything. Think about it. Go back with me. You got all these double negatives, and you're dealing with the brain of Marty Irwin. And so if there's things you really kind of wrestle with, and you're like, I don't know if I want to listen to this guy anymore, it's the reason we provide earplugs at the entrance of our service. Because <clears throat> I'm telling you now, over the next 30 minutes or so, I'm probably going to step on your toes, and I'm going to use phrases that, that come alive in a way that, that hopefully challenge you and, and, and send you here. Uh, into the, to the next day, into the next week with some things to, to do and work on in your own life. So I go back and God, I say, God cannot not be first. Think about 10-year-old Jesus, fully God, fully man. Little Tommy says, hey, I bet you I can run faster than you. That would have been a messed up world, right? But Jesus has got to decide whether he's going to let him win or not. And yet from Adam and Eve to Cain and Abel, from the Israelites to the prophets, from the disciples to the apostles, from you and I to the next guy, God seems to have to continue to remind us of his sovereignty to get back on point. He says, put me first. And we say, but 
I want this over here. He says, put me first. And we say, but then I'd have to give up my, my stuff, my time, my life. We say, but it's my money. I earned it. But, but, but. Here's what I'll say. Don't ever let your butt keep you from God. <laughs> Thank you. Have a good day. We're settling the principle of lordship. Does that make sense today? We're settling the principle of lordship. Hate one, love the other. No one can serve two masters, period. I believe that if we can settle that today, we will have accomplished much. So here we go. I'm going to test your generosity for just a moment. We're here in the second service. There's a lot of people in here. But who in the room right now, raise your hand really high and really confidently. Who, who in the room right now is carrying cash? Raise your hand really high. Okay, how many of you are also carrying a gun? Because that would be very necessary. Okay, keep your hand up. Keep your hand up high. Keep your hand up high. Okay, I want to know who in the room right now, you'll, you'll give me a $20 bill. Everybody else put your hand down. But you'll give me a $20 bill. I'm not telling you what I'm going to do with it. You may not even get it back. But who in the room will give me a 20 There's way too many of you. You're way more generous than I expected. How about a 50? Who will give me a 50? Raise your hand. You got a $50 bill. There's still too many of you. All right, all right I'm testing this. A $100 bill. I want a Benjamin right now. Money, mulala, cheddar, them bills. There's hundreds back in the back. You guys need to carry guns. There's hundreds over here. There's hundreds over here. Okay, Blake, I want yours, man. I want yours. I want your $100 bill. I, I make no promises, bro. None. No promises. So first thing I'm going to do is... Make sure that suffers the real. <laughs> so, Blake, I appreciate your generosity, and we're going to get to that in a minute. But right now, I'm going to put it in my wallet. Oh, you guys haven't seen my wallet. Look, it's got a sweet mustache on the front of it. I got a funny story to tell you about this wallet. It got strung all over the highway one time. I'll tell you later. You have to come ask me. I don't have time for it. We're going to get to that. But if you're like me at all right now, you've you got two things running through your mind. You, you're really wondering when I'm going to give that back to Blake. And the second thing is, because listen, as I was even writing this message, there were defenses rising up in me. So the second thing is that there's defenses rising up in you about the typical church money talk. And I'm not going to ask for a show of hands about that, but we've heard too many sermons from pastors that are trying to twist our spiritual arms. And so if you've heard me speak before, there's always something that I want to read word for word uh, that I feel like the Lord gives us. And this is what I'm going to read. It's an apology. I, I want to take a, a break in the message here to talk about the typical church money talk, to, to talk about the idea of you'll, if you'll simply swipe your credit card now, you'll be well on your way to a generous reward. The for three spiritual deposits of $9.99, you can receive this prayer cloth that we have belabored our prayers over. Blah, blah, blah. Here's, here's what I said in college. I had heard so many messages like this, and I said, if I had a dollar for every time someone tried to convince me to be more generous, I'd be rich. So let me just stop. I want you to close your eyes, and I want to read an apology to you that I wrote. On behalf of the Big C Church, I want to apologize for the way we've conducted ourselves on this topic. Some have confused and corrupted the idea of giving. Giving. To give. 
unassumingly simple and even more beautifully rewarding all by itself. To give an action never more compellingly established and demonstrated than by God himself. Yet those with both knowledge of scripture and authority to minister it have sought to convince us to empty our pocketbooks in the name of generosity, to blindly give as we are equally blinded to the way those funds are appropriated. Again, on behalf of the Big C Church, I want to apologize for the way we have conducted ourselves on this topic. I am so sorry. There's maybe nothing more disturbing to me than the corruption of something God intended to be virtuous and pure, to give. Unassumingly simple and beautifully rewarding, to give an action never more compellingly established and demonstrated than by God himself. And now look up here. For God so loved us, he gave. I'm going to talk about tithing today, and I'm going to talk about what the Bible says about it. But I want you to know in my heart, I'm not going to twist your arms. If I use words that are poignant and direct, it's because I'm going to show you what the scriptures say. But you can decide what to do with it. I want you to know that I'm honoring you in that. Again, it's the reason we put earplugs at the entrance. I'm going to read some Old Testament scriptures now, and I want you to follow along. They should be there on your notes and also on the screens behind me. Exodus 23 and verse 19 says, The first of the first fruits of your land you shall bring into the house of the Lord your God. Everyone say bring. This was a principle that God was establishing with his people. In Leviticus 27 verse 30, it says, A tithe of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord. Everyone say, belongs to the Lord. It is holy to the Lord, Leviticus says. Exodus 13, verses 1 and 2, and I'm going to go here in the message because I love the way that it expounds on it. It says, God spoke to Moses saying, consecrate every firstborn to me. The first one to come from the womb of, among the Israelites, whether person or animal, it is mine. The New American Standard says it really strongly. It says it belongs to me. This is actually referring to, follow me, it's actually referring to human sacrifice. It's firstborn sacrifices. Now, gratefully, we get an, a, a, a chance to redeem this because if you look in the context of this scripture, you'll see that God goes on to talk about what they should do with bread and unleavened bread, that they should not put yeast in their bread, and he tells them why. But then in verse 11, he picks it up, and God says, uh, when, you bring into the land of the, when I bring you into the land of the Canaanites, as promised you and your fathers, and turn it over to you, you are to set aside the first birth out of every womb to God. Every first birth of your livestock belongs to God. Everyone say, belongs to God. You can redeem every first birth of a donkey if you want to by substituting a lamb. If you decide not to redeem it, though, you must break its neck. And then he says, you must also redeem every firstborn child among your sons. So, so we get two ideas here. For a lamb, we sacrifice the firstborn. There is no way around it. For an unclean animal, we substitute another lamb. We redeem. For a firstborn son, you have no choice but to redeem, but to bring another sacrifice. There's a parallel here between Jesus coming to the earth and living and dying and rising again. Do you see it? We, unclean, redeemed by the one and only Son of God. 
The Lord was making himself abundantly clear in the Old Testament. He was saying, O Israel, do not forget that I am both your deliverer from slavery and now your provider on into your new life. He was saying, first fruits and the tithe belong to me. They belong to God. This was a law, and I want us to see that. It wasn't up for discussion. God required first fruits and the tithe. In fact, look at verse 13 again. If you see there, you can see that any unclean animal or the donkey, the Lord says, if you don't redeem it, if you don't give a substitution in its place, what do you have to do? You have to break its neck. In other words, you're going to lose it anyway. It was an establishment between God and his people. Now, listen, I don't envy the Israelites in any way, but they made some dumb decisions along the way if you read the Old Testament. I often wonder how things might have been different if the Israelites hadn't kept putting their butts between them and God. If they hadn't kept making poor decision after poor decision. There's some 600 commands found in the Torah, in the first five books of the Old Testament. I think about Moses going to the top of Mount Sinai and how different it would have been if all of Israel would have went up that mountain instead of just the one man. All along, God was trying to establish something simple, relationship. Instead, because he was not met with a covenantal response to that relationship, what did he have to do? He had to bring rules. Thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not. We say, that man, that seems so crazy that God would have to stoop to that. Parents, you ever had a rebellious kid? Ever had to move from relationship to rule? Thou shalt not. I'm sure you don't say it like that. But it'd be kind of cool. Thou shalt not leave your room. <laughs> when we turn from relationship, that disobedience is met with rule, a withdrawal of privileges. This is much of the Old Testament, people. So you're like, wait a minute. You just read these scriptures in the Old Testament making a case for first fruits and for tithe. And here you are saying, look, it's ludicrous ideas. Well, I'm not done talking about the ludicrousness. Let me go a little further. Look at some of these laws that were in the Torah. Don't wear clothes made of more than one fabric. Aw, oh, ladies, no blends. No blends. That's so terrible. If you wore linen, linen from head to toe. Look at this one. Don't eat worms or maggots. That was easy. I don't know why you had to write that, God. I love this one. Don't shave or cut your hair. I'm working on that right now. Don't ever shave or cut your hair. For, for the Israelites, it wasn't no shave November. It was no shave forever. <laughs> Don't let cattle graze on land with cattle of a different kind. <laughs> Watch this. So for the Israelites, when you got to, when you got to, you know, go number two, it was go outside the camp, dig a hole, and cover it up. I'm grateful for that one. That would have been a sketchy deal to be walking around. Oh, man, it's not dog. That's human stuff. Ross said I can't talk about that, so I got to move on. <laughs> Check this one out. Remember those rebellious kids? Under the law, listen, rebellious kids, remember? Under the law, if you ever curse your mom or your dad, you must be killed. <laughs> Parents, go home and tell them, hey, look, it's not as bad as it used to be. 
So we say, why the law then? Well, I'm really glad that you asked. Look at Galatians 3 and 19. We say, aren't those principles apart from a part of this old hat, Old Testament thing? Look at Galatians. It says, the purpose of the law was to keep a sinful people in the way of salvation until Christ came. Inheriting the promises and just distributing them to us. Different translations say the law was to be a guardian or a tutor to keep us in the way of salvation. Do you realize how much good news is in that? That because of Jesus, we can move on to something else. Look at Malachi chapter 3 and verse 6 through 11. Again, I'm going to read it in the message version. This is an Old Testament scripture, and he says, I am God, yes, I am. I haven't changed, and because I haven't changed, you, the descendants of Jacob, haven't been destroyed. You have a long history of ignoring my commands. You haven't done a thing I've told you. Return to me so I can return to you, says God of angel armies. Do you see that? Return to me so I can return to you. He was saying, I want relationship. I'm trying to keep you in the way of salvation. Because you're not responding to me on your own initiative. And they would say, but how do we return? Begin by being honest. Do honest people rob God? But you rob me day after day. You ask, how have we robbed you? The tithe and the offering, that's how. And now you're under a curse, the whole lot of you, because you're robbing me. Bring, everyone say bring, your full tithe to the temple treasury so there will be ample provision in my temple. Test me in this and see if I don't open up heaven itself to you and pour out blessings beyond your wildest dreams. So here is where we get the twisting of your arms spiritually that so many pastors have said, look, we have to test God with our giving, and so I want you to give to this cause, and we, we empty our pocketbooks, and we expect some kind of return that is supernatural. But we haven't settled that it's not about our money at all. It's about lordship. All the earth will shout your praise. Our hearts will cry. These bones will sing. I'm so grateful for the new covenant, aren't you? Because of Jesus, we moved from rules we could not keep into a relationship we do not deserve. Because of Jesus, the cost of redemption was met. Because of Jesus, what we could not do for ourselves, he did for us. Because of Jesus, because of Jesus. So why? My, why make giving about, about a law? Well, the Old Testament did that. And so in the New Testament, we see it's about relationship. Because how much more then should I give back to God? Because of Jesus. It's good news. When it comes to my life, and I'm speaking personally here, my money or anything else for that matter is not mine. It belongs to God. I'm just responding to his great love when I follow his commands. First fruits and the tithe belong to God. You say, well, wait, that's still an Old Testament law. Does the New Testament say anything about tithing? I'm so glad you asked. Listen, I'm going I'm to read a scripture in a second about that, but I don't want you to hear me say that these principles are to be lived out because of Old Testament law alone. I'm not that guy. 
some will argue that point. They'll say that there are principles that carry on in the Old Testament, and then there's some that don't, kind of like killing your kids if they curse you. But here's my question for all of us, for myself. Who gets to decide which ones carry on and, who, and which ones don't? It seems an illegitimate way to argue the point. So Matthew 23 and verse 23, and this is Jesus speaking. He says, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices. That's a tithe of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin. But you have neglected the more important matters. Everyone say more important matters of the law. And he says things like justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. Look at that last phrase. What does he say? Without neglecting the former. Well, I, I give as I feel led. Without neglecting the former. You say, okay, well, show me another scripture where Jesus talks about it. There's a parallel scripture to this, and then tithing is only actually brought up one other time in the New Testament. But here's a question I have for you. How many times is enough? One, five, ten. How many times does Jesus have to say, do not neglect the tithe before I actually do it? I know it's like, oh, man, this is so rough. I, I don't make enough to pay my bills, and here you are talking about tithing. I, I, I'm sorry, and I'm going to point this thing to Jesus because it, it becomes an issue of our lordship. Look, looking at this scripture that, that Matthew is pointing out to us, you can see that God is saying, look, don't neglect the former. He's saying, Look, as legalism is arising in you, I don't even want to pay attention to that. Tithing should be the, the simple thing. It should be something you do without thinking, but you need to pay attention to the more important matters. He was saying to us and to the Pharisees, do more, go beyond, like Buzz Lightyear, to infinity and beyond. God is like Buzz Lightyear, everyone. God is like Buzz Lightyear. I mean, literally, what if we get to heaven and he looks like that? God is like Buzz Lightyear. I want you to hear me. God does not want your money. He doesn't need our money. He wants my life. God cannot not be first. You might say, well, I, again, I, I can't afford to tithe. Giving doesn't actually make sense for me. Hear me. With all due respect, for my life, I cannot afford not to tithe. And magically, giving doesn't actually make sense for me either. It's the kingdom of God. The last shall be first. Freedom found in sacrifice. It's all backwards. But how many of you know that's the kind of kingdom we signed up for? We have to believe in our hearts that he knows best, that he's a, but, a better money manager than I am. Look at Hebrews eleven six. This is the English Standard Version of this, and it says, And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists, and then that he rewards those who seek him. We have to believe that God rewards us. You know that Old Testament scripture, test me in this. 
Come on, by show of hands, how many of you have tested God's generosity and saw that he is way more generous than you could ever be? You look around the room. I just had conversation after conversation this week. I had a conversation with a family in our church, the Steels. They were here for first service, and, and Desiree had to have an emergency surgery, and they had no insurance, and the doctor just forgave them the bill. No doctors do that. That's ludicrous. Story after story of you committing your tithe and saying, Lord, I'm doing this in faith. And then what happens? Random checks in the mail or, or that land you were trying to sell, it sells for more than the value you even placed on it. These are the kind of stories that are all over the place. But we have to have what? Faith that God is going to do it. So here's some faith-filled ideas for you, okay? I want to give you three of them. And I want us to live by these as a church. Some of them Ross has already said to us. Number one, God can do more with 90% than I can with 100. Isn't that a good idea? Think about it. We commit our tithe. It's kind of like having kids for Casey and I. We, it was like, well, we're just going to wait until it makes sense. If you're a parent, you know that it never makes sense to have kids. It probably is never going to make sense for you to tithe. Follow me. The principle is the same for all of us. Therefore, the percentage is the same for all of us. Or I'll say it in reverse. The percentage is the same for all of us. Therefore, the principle is the same for all of us. Do you really think that it gets easier to tithe when you're making more money? So, so someone makes $100,000 a year, $10,000 a month. Every week they come in with what, a, low, a wad of cash and have to drop it in the offering bucket? That doesn't get easy. Ross has said this to us. Maybe you've heard him. He says, tithing is just training wheels for those that want to live generously. Jesus said, don't forget the former. Go beyond it to infinity and beyond, people. Like Buzz Lightyear. Number two, tithing is... Not a have to, it's a get to. If you know me at all, you know that I'm a bit rebellious by nature. I, I don't like to fit in the mold. I don't like to do things the way someone tells me to do. I wrestled with these principles of surrender to God for so many years when I came to know him. I wanted his freedom, but I also wanted my independence. Anybody been there? I'd say, God, I surrender, but don't tell me what to do. A million times in my life I've said that. It wasn't until I settled that I don't have to do this. I get to do this. I surrender to God, my life, not just my money. Number three, we cannot give what doesn't belong to us. You say, well, it, actually, it is my money. I earned it. Psalm 24, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Everything and everyone in it. You can try to tell God that your money is your money, but it is not. I think this is language worth adopting for one chapel, that we don't give our tithe. Watch this. We bring it. I bring my tithe. I sacrifice my tithe. I surrender my tithe. Because look, I want to embellish on that idea a little bit. Not only... We cannot give what doesn't belong to us. But did you know that it's much easier to let go of something when I realize 
that it doesn't belong to me? Let me say it again. It's much easier to realize, sorry, it's much easier to let go of something when I realize that it doesn't belong to me. Look at the analogy of a rental car. You drive the nicest rental car ever. But when you go to the end of the term, you take it back and you give it back. You probably rev the engine a lot hotter than you wanted to in your own car and probably treated it a, a little bit crazy. But at the end of the day, it wasn't yours. So you give it back. You see this $100 bill? Blake, I really appreciate your generosity, but I'm not giving it back. Because what you guys don't know is that before the service started, I gave it to him. It's mine in the first place. And you say, well, you're teaching about generosity, so maybe you should give it to somebody in the room. <laughs> maybe I should, but I got another service to do, and so I'm not going to give it up. I don't have very many of these laying around. <laughs> do you see that point? It's much easier to let go of something when we realize that it doesn't belong to us. Okay, so I want to finish up this message with some logistics about tithing. Hear me out. I, I want to use an actual example of what it would look like for us to tithe. Uh, let's, say, let's say that you own a landscaping company. And, and you've got an awesome slogan for it. You call it lawn and order. It's awesome. It's awesome. I don't know where. Where we do lawns, boy. We lay down the lawn. I'm sorry. It's, it's getting out of hand. So because you have an awesome name and an awesome slogan, I've called you to come do some work for me. I need some trees planted. Maybe I need some trees removed. I need some curb appeal added. And you've calculated all the man hours, all the labor to be paid out, and all the materials to be purchased. And then you've calculated your take-home pay to be $1,000. And I agree to have you come do the work. And by the way, you finished, and it looks superb. Thank you so much for doing a good job. And I hand you 10 $100 bills, and I lay them in your hand. Question, how much is the tithe? Say Say it out loud. $100. It literally means 10%. So which bill then is the tithe? You say the first one. The first one, which one's the first one? This is where it gets tricky, right? Was it the first one that hit my hand, the one on top? Here's what I'll tell you. The first one is the first one that leaves your hand. It's a principle, everyone. I, I could get into these logistics, and you can really quickly interpret them as legalistics, but I'm not trying to do that. It's not even a word. Here's another question. Where does the tithe go? We bring it into the storehouse, as Scripture tells us. In the Old Testament, that was the tabernacle and then the temple, then the new, and now here it's the local church. Listen, without stepping on toes, I, I know many Christians that they, they call it a tithe and they're giving to a local charity or to the Red Cross or to their neighbor or to their kid's college fund or to their own 401k. I'm being serious. That's not a tithe. You should hear me say to you that that's not a tithe. 
not to be condemned by it because, again, you could have had earplugs in this whole time if you wanted to. You say, I don't even make it to payday without having to take on more debt month after month, and you want me to do what? You say, I serve on Team One. Don't my charitable services count as my tithe and offerings? You say, okay, well, I give, but I really give as I feel led, and probably if I think about it, I'm actually giving way more than 10%, but I don't really want to count it. You say, it's tithe enough for me to be here right now, and you're wasting my time, and time is money, so get on with it. I want to go home. So I'm pushing. You feel that, I'm sure. I feel it pushing back. But I want you to hear me very clearly. Ross wanted to do this message on tithing, and I fought him this last week for it a little bit because I felt like the Lord wanted me to speak it. And so he's going to speak next week on something else, uh, another aspect of priority that we find in our wallet. But the reason I fought him is like I, I felt like the Lord wanted to speak through me some things that maybe he wouldn't be able to say. Because next week I'm going to stand right here and lead worship. And hopefully you'll not hate me anymore and you'll start loving me again. But I'm pushing on this principle because I know too many Christians that do not live by it. Since Ross isn't here, I would say that he would say, if you're wrestling with any of those ideas about whether you shouldn't tithe and where you put your tithe, and you're carrying any type of anxiety around today, I think he would say to you, then don't tithe. Don't. I love our pastor so much. You know we don't pass offering buckets, right? You should also know that we fought about that long and hard. Ross was always saying, Look, it takes up too much time in our service. I really want to leave time for us to relationally get to know one another and for us to spend time in the presence of God. Let's just put the bins in the hallways and just let people give as they feel like they want to, and we'll deal with the provision as God makes fit. Do you realize how hard that is for a church to make that decision? You may not, but you ought to think about it just a little bit. Today you think about it, tomorrow you can forget about it. I can hear him sitting in that meeting and saying, look, we've decided. Let's move on to something else. But, hey, don't let your butt get between your ears. I can hear him. In fact, you should also know of Ross. He doesn't even know who gives. Ross doesn't check people's financial records. He doesn't get the receipts as they come through on e the emails. He doesn't want to know. Because it would affect relational capital that you guys have with one another. You should also know that I see his tithe come through. We get paid one time a month, the last Friday of every month. And the very next business day, I get an email that shows Ross's tithe transaction. You should know that one chapel tithes. We give away more than 10% to missionaries, the 1040 window and in Mexico, and to Mountain Gateway and to people in multiple types of countries and also locally, missionaries everywhere. And then beyond that, there's a benevolence factor that many of you have been able to be blessed in times of struggle because one chapel had enough money to bless you. Do you hear me today? Maybe, maybe you've heard Ross say some of these things. He said, you know, if everybody would simply tithe, we wouldn't have a need to be met. We could do anything, simply.
Ross has said to us, tithing is training wheels for those that want to be generous. He says, if you have to start somewhere, start with 1%. You ever heard him say that? Start with 1% and then 2%. And by 10 months, you reach 10, 10 months and you're at that 10%, you just watch and see what God does in your finances. Test me in this and see if I don't open the windows of heaven for you. So we do things very simply. We commit to give online. I challenge you if, you, if you have a smartphone and you download apps, I challenge you to download the PushPay app. It's called PushPay. And we use that to give online. And many of you do. I am go- so grateful for the way that app is being integrated into our church. Because it's just password protected and you can go online anytime you want and you can give your tithe. You don't have to have these moments of forgetting and whether I'm going to be able to put it in that offering bin as we go and then bring my tithe and you can do this anytime you want throughout the month. I'm going to close with this and I, I want you to see these parallels. If in the Old Testament, God didn't say wait until you have 10 lambs Sort it out and give me the one that keeps causing ruckus, getting in the garden and running off on its own. He called for first fruits and the best. And the New Testament, the same God, says stuff like, leave your father and your mother. Take up your cross, follow me, give to the poor, and do so with great cheer. Don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. Don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. Check this out. So that idea isn't so much about like a blindness to what's happening between your left hand and your right hand. If you do something enough and it becomes routine, your right hand and your left hand have no more association. They don't really need to have knowledge of what's going on. Isn't that a cool thought? So I become such a giver that I don't even really notice it. So I said, can God... Can God do more with 90% than we can with 100? What if we lived in such a way that we had so much vision that we say, God, if provision continues to come my way, then I'm actually going to live on 80% and give away 20%. I'm going to live on 50% and give away 50%. I know people in my own family that they live on 10% of their income and they give away 90% of their income. So that's a ludicrous idea. Really? If I settle my social class and I settle who my God is and that I'm not living for money because both God and money want to be first in my life, I can do anything I want because I settle that I'm not going to serve things that are not going to go with me to the next place. I know that money's not that um, flippant. It's not in and among our, our, our community in such a way that we don't have to work hard for it. And I think that is good. But but realize that we should cast vision for something that says, God, in every way throughout my life, not just today, but always, I am going to make sure you know that you're first. That's the reason for the principle of first fruits in the tithe.